Hello, and welcome to System Mastery, the podcast where we beat a dead horse 1d6 damage at a time. This week, we're revisiting a setting that we didn't really do justice to the first time we took a shot at it. And honestly, I doubt we will this time either, because it's Shadowrun, but it's also Anarchy, the weird one. So settle in, chummer, because I don't know or care to know any further slang from this bloated carcass of a license. It's System Mastery. John, before we get started today, do you think we could maybe do some announcement masteries? I mean, we could. It's possible. Enough people have bought them. Who could stop us? And them. There's so many people that bought them, and they are taking their time sending them in, but we do have a few that we're going to go through today. Uh, So we have one to begin with, which I'm going to ask you to read. should be on your screen right now. All right. Great. Hey. Are you an RPG player, a GM, a writer, or someone who likes creative challenges? Do you want a fun, interactive way to create places for your adventures and stories to happen? Yes. Have you ever felt stuck in a creative rut? All the time here on System Mastery. (laughs) Nord Games is creating another definitive answer for all that. Dangerous Destinations is the sequel to Nord's landmark book, Spectacular Settlements, which offered robust, self-contained builder chapters that allowed for the detailed generation of all kinds of settlements from villages to capital cities. Dangerous Destinations takes the same approach for quest and adventure locations, but with a twist. Instead of standalone chapters, Dangerous Destinations takes you on a creative journey where you combine three parts— a destination type, the environment it's in, and the danger that's there, each with the dozens of possible elements and its own chapter that aids you in easily fleshing out that element's details. Cool. This allows for a massive amount of potential combinations, which makes it a creative utility that is practically limitless. Wow. Yeah, Dangerous Destinations is uh, one of Kickstarter's favorite projects right now, hit funding in a blistering 15 minutes, mm. raised over 100000 in its first two days, blowing through every stretch goal, and uh, you can come support the project and get an amazing, completely independent, and system-neutral creation resource that will boost your creativity and remain useful forever. That's amazing. I can't wait for it to remain useful long after I have moldered into dust and become nothing but a breath on a dream. Exactly. This is going up into the cloud forever mm-hmm. baby cannot be taken down it will be it, it will outlive us all indeed <laughs> oh great that sounds awesome uh, i have one to do as well uh but um, amusingly mine's especially easy because they sent in a tape so uh i just have to add attack in a wave file here this will be the first time we've ever had someone do one of these kinds of things. Uh, so this is going to be for the Jacked Podcast, which can be found at jackedpodcast.com. And it is an AP where they are playing through the original Cyberpunk 2013 role-playing game. So without further ado, here's that. Let's get jacked. It is another perfect day in Rombly Tower, the home of CompuGlobe Corporation and the Church of Execution, a.k.a. the Church of EXE. 
One of us has to keep it together in this stupid city, and it's going to be me. Uh, that's just a hiccup in the great program. If you want to get to the fight, we can just get to the fight. You know, I was I was thinking about uh, getting to the fight. Four solos that I can see, armed, armed to the goddamn teeth. Kid, this is not good. When I signed an old school gutter guitar style trio, everyone thought I was crazy. They were like, gutter guitar's dead. And I was like, no, 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 my friends. <laughs> nostalgia, nostalgia is a lie. Our father, who art a computer. If there's stacks of cash, stuff that looks like it's made out of gold, Stuff I can just carry real fast as I run towards the helicopter. Keep your goddamn heads down. Jet, we're getting jacked. Attitude is everything. Neil Todd, you brought up your power and you were bigger than we're getting jacked. Jacked, a cyberpunk RPG podcast. Listen now at jackedpodcast.com. Sounds super cool. So go check them out at jackedpodcast.com. Let's get to the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to System Mastery. Or welcome back. I know we did an ad break. It's me, your host, Jeff, joined, as always, by my co-host, John. And how are you today? Oh, I'm fine. I'm nice and cozy and bundled up in my nice cardigan. Ooh, that sounds delightful. I'm wearing way too big of a hoodie, which is basically my bundled up. Yeah. Like, just entirely too big. Like, if I try to put the hood on, it closes at my neck. Ah. That's the kind of hoodie I like. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I haven't seen you in a bit. I know there was, a, there was a scare at your place. Yes. Yes, indeed. There was a possible COVID scare, and all of us tested negative. Everything's fine. We're all fine here. How are you? Is it still the same test? I haven't had to get one for a few months now. It's just been extra double careful. Do they still put that thing all the way up into your brain and just sort of like roll it around in there? I mean, I had to do it myself when I took it. Ooh. just And is it that? You jam that thing way up into your sinus? Yeah, you just jam that mother up in you and twist it around and then uh, jam it up in your other nostril and twist that one around. God, that sounds awesome. Yeah, it's great. Gives me a weird tingling sensation all up in my brain meats. Yeah, maybe if I have one, a long enough stick to do that, I can finally fish out the Nerf dart I put up in there the other day. Maybe. I mean, that thing is gone. I can feel it rattling around, but... Uh, well, I mean, there's plenty of space up there. <laughs> Perfect. Glad to hear it. Well, good. I mean, I'm glad to hear... Uh, also, very glad to hear about all those negative tests. That's a good deal. It's great. We love it. Uh, mm -hmm. I actually even was able to see my parents the other day... Because I was like, yo, I tested wow. negative. I 100% do not have COVID, so I can come see you. And uh, I got a nice 50-inch TV from them that my dad won in a raffle. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah, apparently he won that. My sister won another, like, giant-ass TV as well in some raffle at her company. And I was like, great, I guess it's just raining TVs for the family. <laughs> Where are you going to put a sp There's big TVs in every room in your house already. Oh, I know. I'm thinking I'm going to put it in my room, like put it on one of the walls and replace well, okay. the slightly smaller TV that I have. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, it's not too late for us to still build that garage recording studio out there. And then we just put a TV in the middle of it that's like always showing our logo or something. 
oh, I thought it was just like we'd go have a nice man cave out in the garage and we'd put on some skin flicks on there, you know. <laughs> I don't want to watch porn with you. <laughs> well, that's a shame because our next show that we're doing, spoiler alert. Damn it. <laughs> that's TV Mastery Season 3. <laughs> we're doing Old, porn. We're just- it's got to be from TV, though. It's just going to be shit from the Playboy channel in the late 90s. Oh, yeah. We're going to do every single Bikini Bistro in order. Oh, sweet. Topless women read the news. <laughs> Playboy is weirdly tame. Also, we have to watch it like where we don't have access to the channel. So it's all like negative image and blue and warm and wobbly. Oh, yeah. If If I'm not looking at a green titty, then what even is the point? Exactly. If you're not desperately trying to figure out whether or not the thing you're jerking it to is a nipple, then are you really even jerking it? (laughs) Welcome to our generation's porn in the woods. (laughs) I mean, I also had porn in the woods. I think that's because I'm in that zenial generation. Yeah, you're in that that in-between spot. Yeah, because I I found a lot of woods porn as a child in in, uh, urban Los Angeles. Mm, Mm-hmm. Usually, it turns out that people who ditch porn in the woods are into gross porn. <laughs> they get the cheap stuff. Uh, yeah, only Made the me, forest uh, can hide my shame. Uh, yeah, I. for a while, this is a fun porn story for you, John. For a while, I lived with uh, with a friend's uh, family, and I, ha- I just took over their garage and lived in their garage. It was not a good time in my life. But at one point, I think one member of the family delivered an ultimatum to another one to get rid of his porn because they had, like, little kids. Uh-huh. So so one day I went out into the garage, and I had just a f- big box of porn on my bed. And I was like, the hell is this? And he was just like, oh, hang on to that for me. You can watch it all you want. And I was looking through it. It was, like, like low-budget 80s amateur stuff. And I was just like, I don't want any of this. Uh. <laughs> But when I moved out, it had it had sunk into one of my other boxes, and so I found it myself much later. Like, what the fuck is this? What do I have? Girls and their toys six? What the fuck? Lol. So anyway, that's uh, that was the most porn I've ever owned by volume. Great. I'm excited. And then I got rid of it because I didn't even have a VCR. Oh, yeah. That's the problem with that old stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in addition to it not being my particular style... It was also completely unplayable, unless I, like, borrowed a VHS player from my parents. <laughs> that, Look, I have to I, go through. I have to wonder if you go to a place and are like, hey, can I buy a VCR here? Their immediate thought is, old porn, huh? Yeah, I, I assume, I mean, at the moment, the only VHS tapes in my house are, like, Florence's old family videos. <laughs> yeah, they're like, and I, hey, I, is this for uh, porn or old, uh, those old Disney VHS in the puffy cases, huh? One or the other. A little of column A. And none of and column, a lot of column B. B. <laughs> <laughs> uh, John, we talked about, or we're about to talk about Shadowrun Anarchy this week. Yes, indeed. Now, we, of course, many years ago during a live show, we did a run at shadow run what was that fifth or sixth that was fifth edition fifth. which weirdly means that both of our shadow run uh reviews have been from roughly the same period in shadow run history well that's fine it's all fine because this thing's yeah because this thing's cross concurrent with fifth edition yeah but it's so uh, different 
Uh, <laughs> you have to assume so. I mean, I'll be honest. I skimmed a lot of Shadowrun 5th Edition on the plane on my way to JetCon. Uh. And I, I, my plan was more or less to mug my way through that episode, and it did not work. Uh. This time, I, this time I've actually read the sucker. Uh, so I'm looking forward to getting a chance to rectify that episode. Good. Rectify that by reviewing an entirely different system. Mm-hmm. But, you know, roughly the same story. Yeah, but the rough story of Shadowrun is sort of garbage anyway, so whatever. <laughs> well, it's an old story at this point, because Shadowrun's from, Boy like, the mid Boy meets girl. Mm-hmm. Boy turns into girl orc. Girl is an orc. <laughs> oh, perfect. <laughs> Our story has a happy ending. Yay! Goblinization! Everyone's orcs. <laughs> All right, so this is uh, Catalyst Games 2016. Uh, and published by Tops, the trading card people, the the baseball card folks. Yeah, they so make that's, cards. That's kind of cool, In, yeah. including and, ones and of the Shadow inauguration. You, that's right, they did make that. You can get yourself a nice Bernie sitting down Tops card. God damn it! Thank goodness, because I didn't have enough of that in my life already. Yep, I assume no one has had enough of Bernie sitting down in places. So here you go, forever commemorate it. Gee, I sure hope he's eventually on the cover of that one, like, Sega Saturn game, Phalanx, where there was that weird, like, old hillbilly sitting down, and instead it's Bernie. I hope someone does that. I can't wait. Don't worry. It is. It's there. If you can think of it, someone's put Bernie there. Oh, do we have that one that's the uh, the two biker guys arguing with each other, and then one of them throws a chair, and now the chair has Bernie in it? Uh, I hope so. I hope they do that. That's the first one I could think of with a chair. Ah. Uh. All right, so uh, Shadowrun Anarchy is interesting. If, you, if you're familiar with Shadowrun, we might as well start there. Uh, Shadowrun is, if not the uh, the biggest, at least one of the most well-known of the semi-cyberpunk-y role-playing games yes. and settings. And I say semi because I have really strong opinions about what does and does not qualify as punk. Same. And uh, this is definitely not. It's true. Be, largely be, because there's no way for you to work that you're no, where you don't work for one of the corporations. Everything you do is for a big corporation or Zaibatsu or something. Oh, yeah. It's just sort of sadly, like, instead of being punk, you've just sort of bought in. You're like, eh, whatever. Whatever gives me yeah. money. Yeah, that's what it is. You're right. It's not really cyberpunk. It's more like cyber merc. Pretty much. It yeah. is. Yeah. Granted, that's not a genre, so that's not what anyone wants to say. They see people with mohawks and laser swords, and they're like, or nano swords, and they're like, ah, yes, cyberpunk. Yeah. You shouldn't say laser sword, because then we move into sci-fi. Yeah, it's a good point. That's pretty much a lightsaber. I should say glowing sword, but still recognizably a katana. Yeah, a, a glowing pink katana. Congratulations, cyberpunk. Obviously a katana, by the way, because you can't do cyberpunk without Asian fetishization. Hell yeah. <laughs> and in this case, thankfully, we at least dilute a little bit of the Asian fetishism with an incredible amount of Native American stuff. Yay! Oh, wait, no, the opposite of that. Boo! Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk about what Shadowrun is. Around 2025 or so, uh, the world starts to have all kinds of, of colossal problems. Uh, the internet stops working for everybody. Things blow up. The money doesn't count as one of itself anymore. Uh, there's a ton of random wars and uprisings and magical events taking place all over the place. Yeah, yep, yep. We get dragons return. We got an entire timeline in here, which I'm going to go ahead and say is 
one of my favorite examples of someone putting a timeline in something because it doesn't take up 30 pages and give me weird minutiae. It is just the highlights of the past, like, 60 years, and that's it, and I love it. Which is actually very good news, because, I, I mean, I've only read a couple of the Shadowrun books myself. I've read the first edition, skimmed fifth edition, and now read this, and and uh, <clears throat> it always feels like they, they end up telling us stories about how, oh, the elves have always been here. They've just been hiding in the woods, or there's always been yetis around. <laughs> oh. Dragons have existed the whole time, but here we're not necessarily seeing that. The timeline, thankfully, just starts right in 2000 or 2001. Oh, yeah. And the nice thing as well is it doesn't, like I was saying, get into the minutiae. There is no like, and then this dwarf created this company and he decided to go to this territory. And then in that same year, and you're like, I don't give a fuck. Just give me the highlights. And that's all yeah, it does. And, and I love it. And here they are. Uh, the United States Supreme Court gave uh, multinational corporations the same rights as sovereign governments, which is not that far off from what they have now. Which and, is weird uh, that that would be a thing, because that's just the U.S. would give those rights, so it's not like it fe affects the rest of the world, but whatever. Yeah, it, it's funny that they're like, yeah, that that immediately ended the, the uh, era of national governments as chief drivers of global events. And I'm like, wait, did, like, Europe sign off on this, too? Yeah, because it's just specifically the u.s supreme court does that and i'm like okay then the u.s recognizes that but if the rest of the world is like no we don't recognize sony as a government then who gives a shit yeah then uh because corporations can just do whatever they want they immediately start taking over native american land for all of its resources yep and then which uh, feels like feels like a waste of time we already pretty much did a good job of picking as a country, we did an amazing job of picking horrible, useless, rock-strewn chunks of nothing land to force them into almost 200 years ago. Yep. We, did, we did great at that. That's one thing you like can I, definitely say for the U.S. Yeah. Step So step one for these multinational corporations was like, hey, remember how we gave them like the worst part of South Dakota? There's nothing there but rocks and heat. Well, I found a way to, to exploit rocks and heat. <laughs> and then, you know, eventually... Magic and dragons and elves and dwarfs and whatnot come back, and then the great, the great ghost dance happens. Yeah, this is the thing I was trying to talk about e earlier, is that what happens is the Native Americans get stepped on even more than they have in the past. Uh, they begin to rebel a little bit, and then magic comes back, and their first response is, sweet loincloths and face paint for everyone, it's time to dance magic dance. Yep. The great ghost dance of all the Native American shamans across the world happen, and they make earthquakes and volcanoes and bullshit until they get some rights and some land. Yeah, famously, there was, a, as far as I remember, what, one Native American culture? Yeah. So when they do ghost dances, it's just the same one. Don't worry about it. Well, yeah, because, you know, they eventually just get the Native American nations, and that's their whole thing. It's just... Just a big old chunk of land for all of them. Yep, yeah, they they, they take over a, a large portion of land for themselves by doing cool magic. Uh, and then right after that, goblinization starts to happen because it was cool when everyone was dwarves and elves and humans, but now there's orcs and trolls. Yeah, and unlike the elves and dwarves where you just sort of be born being that, goblinization is like, oh, sometimes you just be walking around and be like, 
30 years old and all of a sudden you're like, oops, I'm an orc. <laughs> oh, guess it's down to <laughs> I'm an orc, you goof. Oh, 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 why don't you come on over, you goof? Show you how we do it in orc town. Uh, okay, and, and that eventually spawned the phrase meta-humanity uh, because it was a cha- meta-humanity was a way for humans to be racist against all these new folks. Yeah, obviously. Uh, you definitely needed that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then they responded by adopting the term meta-humanity to also refer to humans because it's just everybody's a meta-human of some kind, even humans. Yeah. Uh, then eventually there's a huge matrix that develops because you got to have a huge matrix for people to dive around in. And it goes down at least twice in the course of this timeline where it's like, mm-hmm. here's the matrix. Oops, the matrix blew up. All right, here's the new one. Oops, that one blew up. Yeah, and they blow it up more than once in the storyline to explain why there's so much extremely powerful uh, hard or software to defend everything and to fight the defenses of everything. And the but- the beginning Matrix was sort of your standard log on to the internet Matrix, like you have to jack into the lines, and eventually the like the new Matrix is all wireless so it's just sort of wi-fi around the world and you don't have to like plug into a specific port to get in there Mm-hmm. yeah um and then at a certain point as well eventually people develop the magical ability to i don't even know if it's magic it's it's called emerging but it's a special class of people who could just go onto the matrix without a computer or anything yeah once it became completely wireless and sort of around people all the time it was like oh mm-hmm. okay well now anyone who is sort of sensitive to magic can like ah instead of casting a spell i just sort of tap into the floating ether of the matrix around me yeah it's one of my favorite entries is it happens in 2064 when we get to the second crash and second matrix emerging uh, this time it comes with technomancers who can atri- access the Matrix with nothing more than their mind. This causes many to freak out. I mean, does that mean technomancers? Do the technomancers freak out? Or do they freak everyone else out with all their technomancy, man? Man. Yeah, because by 2064, people are like, you can get online without a like computer, Jack? Oh my god, that's... I'm freaking out. I'm gonna go have to tell a dragon about this. Yeah, imagine being in a, in a time period where, like, this is the scariest thing ever, and we elected a dragon president seven years ago. I'm going to have to use my spirits to contact the dragon president, because this is weird. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, dragon president was only president for, like, ten hours. He got he got blown up by people who were like, that ain't my president, dragon. Yeah, and left and, a uh, rift in astral space yeah which eventually farted out a new dragon who immediately went to denver to fuck that shit up because great why not i assume just because there's a dragon in denver in the in the books that actually go deeper into the story and that's just their origin story yeah yep uh and then i don't know there's a whole bunch more little bits and pieces that happen here but basically it's 2077 welcome to the new crazy reality hey it's cyberpunk 2077 and the last thing that happens is we get some new weird uh, infections of AI so that sometimes people will 
essentially have new personalities. That's like mm-hmm. an AI made a weaponized virus of their own personality to take over regular people, which is very weird and neat. It's a cool idea. It's a shame it doesn't show up anywhere in the book, but in that one little entry. But the idea that like the AIs from the internet are now hacking people and, and running around as people so that we have we have uh, computer hackers going in both directions. That's yeah. kind of neat. It's neat. I like it. It's a cool idea. I'd like to read more about it. It's not found here, though. Yeah. Instead, after that's over, it's time to discuss the Big Ten. Because you see, uh, this is a very corporate-heavy game. Well, so yeah. it's really important for us to know about the Big Ten corporations. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't really matter for us to <laughs> go over them in detail, but... No, I'm not gonna. Uh, just just enough to say that... that uh, there's 10 of them. They all have kind of different interests. Like one might be more into weapons. One might be more into magic research, but really it's just 10 different entries that are like, these guys act nice, but in secret, they're really mean. Oh, yeah. And then you get and like if, if two you of fail them, them are, these guys don't even act nice. Yeah. And if you fail them, they'll kill you. Yeah. Everyone's super scared of Mitsuhama computer technologies because of their zero zone policy of shooting first and shooting more later <laughs> yeah and then there's at least one that's straight up run by a dragon i think it's called Seder krupp ah uh, Seder krupp yeah but effectively a lot of them are just like hey did you know that there's yakuza now there's yakuza that have corporations i do like the very old style take on what mega corporations would be around where where they're like obviously japan has a bunch of them because this was originally written in the 80s and there's only yeah. one chinese company and you're like ah, bullshit <laughs> yeah yeah poor wujing incorporated they're they're uh they're the only chinese company and they're just like oh we focus on on uh magical mystical things we're we'll sell you a gremlin. chinese culture yeah uh <laughs> great and then it's time to talk about a bunch of gangs including a few new ones but honestly it's just a bunch of ones you've heard of oh the mafia the yakuza the triads great the russian one who, that i don't know how to pronounce <laughs> the vori i think it's just basically just the vori is what everyone calls them probably yeah and then there's a native american one too in case you wanted that they're called the uh, koshari yes just in case mm-hmm I mean, that one's probably more relevant than most of the others, since you're supposed to be playing this in parts of America. I mean, you could set, uh, uh, obviously, could set a Shadowrun game anywhere, but most detail is about various parts of America where there are a lot of Native American influence. Yeah, I think most of the, like, sample characters in this, which, this is a game all about sample characters, are there oh in God. Seattle. There's like, I, I, half of this book or more is sample characters. It's ridiculous, because... The general premise of Shadowrun Anarchy was, you know, Shadowrun is ridiculously clunky and has so many working little moving parts where especially if you're trying to talk about like gear or anything like that, there's so much to worry about with your money and everything else that they were like, let's pare everything down. Let's have a nice streamlined easy to jump into easy to play version of shadow run but they yeah. for some reason decided that <laughs> that means that everyone was going to want to play a pre-gen for some reason i don't 
No, why? Yeah. I, I fell for this game back when it came out. I bought it in stores in 2016 because I was like, you know, I've always been into Shadowrun conceptually. I like the whole demi-human cyberscape thing. That's kind of a neat idea. I want to re- play it eventually. Ooh, look, a quick play version. What a great idea. Yeah, because I've already read some other versions of Shadowrun, and they suck balls. Yeah, I don't want to know more about them. They're way too complicated, and it it just it's it's a gear porn game, and I didn't I've never been all that invested in that sort of thing. Here's one that looks like it runs fast and is basically a, a much more storytelling driven game. It does not run fast. It runs faster than Shadowrun. Yeah, that's true. Which isn't <laughs> exactly an amazing hurdle to jump, but you know. But but also yes, uh, there's a point in this book where all of a sudden it's just a list of people, and there are way more than you would think there there should be. There's like 40 pre-gen characters with full write-ups and full character sheets that dominate the center of this book. Oh, yeah, and each one gets basically three pages because you have one page for a backstory write-up, a full art page, and then the character sheet. So all of these guys are just taking up so much real estate in here. Yeah. And ultimately, every one of them is supposed to be like a neat, cool character. But, you know, it's not as cool as something that you come up with yourself. They they feel inauthentic as you're making your way through. You're like, I don't want to play as Koi Dog or Sledge. I want to make my own cool guy. Yeah. Even if you come to the point where you're like, all right, well, the the way that they tried to streamline this was to make most options very generic. So by the time you come out the other end, you're like, oh, well... I probably do look oh, a lot like one of these guys. Oh, I did actually make Sledge. Never mind. Oh, no. I tried to but make a- someone that was like a wizard, and I just made one of their wizards. Boo. Yeah. So there is a uh, a big difference between this and Shadowrun in terms of the way the game is played, because they, were, they weren't necessarily trying for quicker play, like quicker rule usage during gameplay, because you still pick up big fucking handfuls of dice, uh, and, and have to read successes because like every other Shadowrun game, you roll handfuls of D6s and then count the fives and sixes. Yep. That's the basic mechanic. Uh, but you still have to assemble complex die pools and roll them just the same as always. The big difference is that they kind of introduced a semi-GM-less system. Like, there's still a GM and everything, but they've taken way more of the narration toolkit and functionality away from the GM and and honestly, left the GM not doing that much. I mean, the thing is... And this is, they, this is what's called the narration system. They talk about the whole narration system, and they're like, oh, yeah, and, you know, all the your players are going to be able to do whatever, and, you know, the GM's just there as kind of like a referee and to, you know, make calls on certain things. But it doesn't change anything rules-wise. It really is just a, hey... We're going to allow players to say that things happen now. Yeah. Basically, the way it works is there's a conk. Not really, but you get the basic idea. It's always someone's turn to talk during their narration. And during their narration, they can introduce whatever they want. They can add enemies to the scene. They can uh, they can describe the way that the NPCs are talking. They can they can take control of NPCs and, ha- and speak for them. Uh, the... DM's got job, or the GM's job, is largely to assemble die pools for NPCs and roll them against players, uh, confirm whether or not certain things happen, reward players for being cool by giving them little bits and bobs that they can, they can uh, in-game reward structures, 
uh, and keeping track of everybody's like damage and so on. Yeah. Now, the one thing that the game master does get to do that is, you know, pretty much just the only thing that they get that's an actual cool thing that they do rather than just sort of like arbitration is the plot point system in this game. Mm, that's one of the three or four little meta currencies that exist in role playing in this. Yeah. So players get plot points and they can use them for a number of things. You can add a glitch die, which we'll talk about. You can, mm -hmm. you know, change the order of who's going, you know, take your turn out of turn, uh, you know, move fast, make it so that you don't take as much damage. You know, there's a whole list. But then yeah. every time a player spends a plot point, the GM gets that plot point and he can do things, you know, like adding in more glitch dice to people or NPCs. He can, mm -hmm. you know, make it so that some of the bad guys can roll more dice or, you know, bring more guys in, stuff like that. So there's can also least, mess with the turn order. Yeah, yeah, there's there's an economy of like. You've got a thing that lets you fuck with the environment, but every time you do it, the GM gets a thing to fuck with the environment. So, you know, at least there's something to keep him looking at what's going on. Yeah. Now, the, the basic structure of the narration is that you're supposed to be like, okay, this is when you're going to do the coolest shit that you are going to do as a player. Uh, you, you can even narrate what other players are doing, but they are allowed to... Uh, you know, interject to speak up for their own character. And if they want to, they can grab narration away from you by buying it with plot points. Yeah. Cause I mean, it does require if there's a point where you're like, yeah, and then I do a cool flip and your players like, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. What an amazing badass. <laughs> I don't think it's supposed to be used in situations where people are abusing their narration privileges. The, the descriptions are always that it's supposed to be like, when you think of something super fucking cool, you spend a plot point and you do that shit. <laughs> yeah, but all I could ever think of was you'd use it just when someone's like, yeah, and then your elf comes up to my orc and is like, ooh, you're so muscly. <laughs> and I'm like, thank you. And then you're like, hold on, I need to fart out a bunch of plums. <laughs> uh, plot point, hold on. It is you who farts the plums. <laughs> All right. So anyway, it's kind of a neat idea. I feel like it's only a halfway step, though, if, 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 you're, if you're asking me, because you still have a GM and they have less to do than they ever have before. And GMing is already people don't like to do it because they don't like the responsibility. Yes. Because they don't get to play. Still, yes. And because it's kind of boring now more than ever. <laughs> Eh, I mean, the way I look at it is it's just not enough in either direction, because if you yeah. wanted to be like, oh, we want this to be almost GM-less entirely, then they didn't go far enough because there's still like the GM has to be the one that calls for roles if they mm -hmm. think that a, a role needs to happen. They get to use the plot point thing. They still they get the contract brief. Yeah, they still have to set up what the plot is. But yeah. then you're like, oh, and from then on, the game says you should mostly just sit back and let them do whatever. And I'm like, I don't eh. want to do that. Fucking pay me if my job is to set some shit down on the table and go away for a while. That's what a waiter does. Yeah. I mean, honestly, at that point, I'm like, you really should be GM less 
or at least be like the GM has a character. It's just exactly. whoever brings the brief for the week is the GM, quote unquote, and that's it. Yeah, it should be like, hey, did you bring the contract brief? Great. You have a character, but you're on scout's honor not to take advantage of the knowledge of the contract brief you brought to play with, because fuck it, I trust my friends not to do that. And and uh, also, you get an extra point of edge for doing all that extra work. Yay. There, and that would be fine, because then everybody would be playing all the time. As it stands, I felt like it kind of was... Re- it. it restricted the or reduced the role of the dm enough that i was like i don't want to be the gm in this and i think their thought was this will make more people want to be the gm because i don't have to do as much oh yeah i mean it it really feels like they made this as a con game to be like oh yeah we're gonna take this to conventions because it's fully based around a shitload of pre-made characters the gm doesn't have to do almost anything so it's like what do you do oh i I just say I'm going to run Shadowrun Anarchy at some convention. I show up with a brief and go, you guys have fun. Yeah, like Shadowrun's company itself could print a bunch of contract briefs and issue them to people who are running them at conventions to make it easy. Yeah. Uh, so that that's the kind of, By the way, Edge got mentioned in there. That's one of... It's functionally a stat in the game, but really it's just something you can spend to purchase small amounts of rerolls. Yeah, Edge is... There, there's two ways one, to spend it. And... Yeah. You can get higher if you don't buy a lot of uh, shadow amps, which are your various abilities. But Mm -hmm. to begin with, it's mostly just you can either spend it before you roll, and then you get plus one die to whatever your roll is, and your successes are now four, five, and six rather than five and six. Or you can spend it after you roll to re-roll all non-successes. Yeah. But they're still Uh, just five or six if you do after the roll. I'm sure if I felt like spending five minutes, I could work out the break point at which you stop doing the one and start doing the other. Oh, I'm sure. But I don't want to do that. So someone else probably already worked out that math, and I'm sure it's on the internet. I mean, mostly, I feel like there will be a point where you've mathed out when it's good to do it. And the only mm-hmm. reason you do the other one is if you're like, yeah, I roll like 12 dice for this. I got nothing. Okay, well. <laughs> well, the other thing, Edge, you get. Like like you were saying, you get one edge, unless you're a human, in which case you start with two, uh, and you can have more by spending less on the stuff that makes up the game, uh, like your character creation points, then you end up with some more edge. But otherwise, it resets every time there's a new contract brief, so you don't get to spend it that much. It's, uh, it's per session. It's per session. Okay, yeah. not per contract brief, per session. But still, if you only have one, it's you're, even if you do the math, you're still probably going to want to sit on it for a situation where you fail in the clutch and need to need a re-roll probably uh and the other thing that we mentioned in there of course was the glitch die that you can mm-hmm. add with uh plot points and that is just an extra die that is a different color or shape or whatever from the other d6s that you're rolling maybe it's bigger or something just ability to tell it apart because when you roll that that's the only way you can crit fail or succeed is with a glitch die that's right, yeah. If you roll a six on it, then a cool critical effect happens. If you roll a one on it, a bad shit situation happens. It doesn't control whether or not you guaranteed fail or succeed, though. No. Uh, it's 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 basically a does weird shit happen die that also still can contribute to your success pool. And it's generally better than it is worse because it's a five or six, you get the exploit. So mm-hmm. you've got a one in three chance of some windfall happening, even if you don't succeed on the overall roll. Like, something good happens for you. 
Uh, yeah. And then a one in six chance of the glitch happening where something, you know, bad happens to you, even if you succeeded. Yeah, so it is it is a, po- a net positive to try and roll the glitch die, especially because it can contribute to success. Successes on it do add to your success pool, but this isn't a game where ones remove successes or anything like that. So uh, basically, if you get the one on the glitch die, a bad thing happens, but you still get whatever you were doing, probably. Yeah, I mean, if you rolled and you're like, oh, I needed to, you know, get four successes, I got four successes and a one on the glitch die. You're like, well, I did what I set out to do, but then something happens. Yeah. And plot points are, are uh, plot uh, points. Yeah, they are called plot points. They're the uh, the things you they're the super meta currency that's used to, to uh, interact with the narration system. Uh, they get flown or ar- flung around by the DM as well. When the DM likes yeah, we what you're doing. <laughs> no, I was going to say, that, what, did we talk about how the DM hands them out, not just how he gets them? Oh, you hand them out because you're cool. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there you go. That's all I was trying to get to. Uh. So let's talk about character creation, or if there's more you want to say. Not really. I mean, most there's of the other stuff different will initiatives. come up during character creation. Yeah, there's a couple different initiative systems you can use. Where there's just a, a D6 roll or uh, the a Sentinels of the Multiverse style, just hand it to whoever you want to go next system called Cinematic. So there's a couple... Like like we were saying, it basically is a starter attempt at making a game that plays a little faster and a little looser. Uh and I think in some ways it definitely hits that mark, and in other ways it feels like it really doesn't. Yeah. The And I think <laughs> the uh the fact that the game tries to balance some things and not others, and then like in the GM section it's like, hey, if someone exploits the fact that we didn't balance things punish them i'm like oh come on come on guys (laughs) yeah yeah that's never the best thing it's not the player's fault that they noticed that you didn't write the game very well yeah there's a thing in there where it's like is one player just doing the most effective thing they can do every turn you should probably fuck them up because of it And i'm like why maybe you should have provided them with more interesting options yeah if it's like well i i have two guns one of them does eight damage one does six and otherwise they are completely identical i guess i'll use the eight damage one right and it's amusing to me that they're like if they use the thing that their their cool trick that does the most damage and i'm like what is their cool trick there's not like feats or anything like that in this game if you have a gun you shoot your gun yeah they (laughs) the gear in this is weird because they kind of went almost to the Gamma World thing where it was like, all right, you can have big melee or small melee, big ranged, small ranged, and that's about it. Except they didn't then balance it. So if it's like, all right, what happens if you have small melee? Well, you take your, you know, your unarmed damage and you add plus one. What else? Nothing. Cool. What happens if I use big melee? It's your unarmed damage plus three. What else? nothing it's just better (laughs) yeah so i mean i I guess maybe if you're gonna like dual wield or something maybe there's a value to it but lord knows it doesn't seem that way most of the time no there's honestly no rule that makes it so that you would want to use anything lesser yeah okay so character creation is a 14 step process but the vast majority of the or a lot of those steps aren't really anything well yeah i mean step of like Create your character's name. Yeah. 
All right. Because it goes, pick your character's name. And it, there's a whole thing with character theming where it's like, hey, pick what kind of character you want. Make sure you give them a cool name that definitely refers to uh, the theming because that's super uh, – or if you have a character named, like, Sledge, then it's going to convey that that's a heavy hitter who punches real strong. Yeah. Um, then there's a section about picking tags. And tags are basically just, like, one-word descriptions of the character. So it's like uh, – if you're playing an orc, maybe use the tag orc. Yeah. The tags are basically just like quick one word descriptions of what your character is. So you're like, all right, uh, human, adept, street gang. <laughs> like, yeah, the tags are so fundamentally unimportant that they're not even on the character sheet. Yeah, it just doesn't matter. They're like, all these they're tags. <laughs> and you're like, okay. <laughs> Honestly, why would I bother? It's the same thing with this game has uh, cues that you're supposed to oh, add God. to your character. I can't, I can't wait to get to the fucking cues. And it's just like, what? Why? <laughs> cues are basically catchphrases. That that's more or less what they are. They're the thing that your character. They're supposed to be role playing game uh, aid. Like they're supposed to be like inspirational aids to get your character role playing. Maybe say one of your cues. And then after that, it'll start off a conversation that'll help keep the game rolling along. But they're all just sort of, my character's saying, a stereotype thing. Yeah. And I mean, the cues can either be things you say or just, like, things you think. But all mm -hmm. of it, the way they put it down is they're like, in case you forgot what your character was, look at your cues, and then you'll remember what you're playing. <laughs> yeah. And there's two sections of them, no less. Cues are more or less the things that you're going to say. So they're like, uh, watch out, chummer, or I'll find out about you. Oh, uh, and then the, uh, go loud. <laughs> exactly. And the disposition is like more or less your alignment. You're supposed to write down like four cool ideas or four things that describe the way your character interacts with the world. Uh, but they're, they read very similarly to cues, but they're more like personality stuff. Yeah. So th there'll be things like uh, precision is everything or... Mitsuhama puts out the best products or <laughs> you use the right have runner to improvise in this business. Yeah, exactly. So it's very much just, um, it's an alignment system. Eh. It's but basically cues, just tags with slightly less words to like that you would say, Hey, at least they get a spot on the character sheet. Oh. Uh, <laughs> The cues are just the cues are basically an excuse for the the book to fill up a huge chunk of every character sheet with a bunch of boring quotes. Hooray! So if you want your character to say things like, like, uh, well, at least we can sell it for scrap, and have that be a regular thing, or Sledge, you put the orc in dork, <laughs> and and at that point you're like, cool, great, and then I hope uh, I have Sledge in the party. <laughs> and then, then that's my thing that I say, and then there's a break while this studio audience laughs or claps <laughs> woo yeah ow oh <laughs> oh my catchphrase <laughs> well maybe if your catchphrase is like we're having twins ah that's my or catchphrase I whenever you, i honey. pull out my two guns <laughs> i love you honey i've always loved you oh says the studio audience so one thing that makes this game different from base Shadowrun games and is appreciated by me because I've never liked it, it always caused, at least for me, it always caused big deal analysis paralysis, is that we've lost that priority system 
where you take things like your meta type, your stat pool, your uh, essence, your your uh, your money, and so on, and you assign them values from A to E, and then each one of them gives you a number of points based on what you assigned them. Oh yeah, no more. That's money that doesn't thing, exist that thing's in not Shadowrun here. Anarchy. No, yeah, yeah, money's not even a thing. Uh, and beyond that, I never liked that. Cause like I said, it made it hard for me to pick how to build my character. I'd always get to that step and be like, what do I want to make? Oh, I, I want to make an elf, but do I need to, how many points do I need to put in being an elf? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it was especially sad when you looked at it and you're like, but I want my character to be good. So I guess, I guess I'll always dump money unless that's really important to me because whatever. Well, the first trick is to be a human so you can dump meta type. Huh. But here, instead of bothering with any of that, you just get a number of points for each one of the various categories of build, uh, which are attributes, skills, amps, weapon, and gear, uh, based on the power level of the game you're going to be running. Yep, you can do a gang level, a street runner, or a prime runner, where you're like a seasoned shadow run guy. Yeah, uh, and and the metahuman choice is nothing but a stat panel or uh, benefit. Instead of a thing you have to invest in to be like, if, oh, I want to play as a troll, well, you have to invest at least X rank in uh, in your uh, priorities so that you can be one at all. Yeah, every so single here, one of the meta types is a plus two overall. Uh, mm-hmm. For the humans, elves, and dwarves, it's a plus one to two different. Orcs and trolls both get plus two to strength, but a troll trades out a skill point for three armor. Yeah, uh, which, not a bad deal. Now... Traditionally, they'll tell you that, uh, at least I've read in at least a few other Shadowrun books, that they're like, hey, trolls aren't as stupid as everyone says they are. They're just as capable of being smart as everyone else, Uh, except that, of course, there are attribute maximums. Yeah. Now, the maximums and, uh, like, the spread on these is, I would say, much less punishing than uh, the standard Shadowrun. Basically. Yeah, no, it's absolutely true. Like, the worst thing is troll charisma, the most you can get is a four. But other than that, most people are hovering at around a six or a seven. Uh, Mm -hmm. Trolls get to go to a strength of ten because they have the charisma of four thing. But yep, uh, trolls really, if you wanted to go super skewed, because I'm going to go ahead and say this. uh, The armor in this game, when you're thinking, oh, I get plus three armor for minus one skill point. That only actually matters if you wanted maximum armor. Uh, yeah, that's correct. You can get uh, six armor, which gives you plus one skill point, nine armor, which is baseline, or 12 armor and minus one skill point. Mm-hmm. So unless you want to get 15 armor and minus two skill points, the troll is basically just an orc with different maximums. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much all it comes down to. Uh, it's, But if you do want to do that, it's there. So if you want to play as the only character in the game who can get to 15 armor and you don't care about skills at all, the troll's the way to go. Yeah. All right. And then there are skills. And skills are fairly simplistic. There's not that many of them. You get a number of points, like I was saying earlier, uh, equal to the power level of the game you're planning to run. And it's a one-for-one purchase. Uh, every skill is assigned to one of the attributes. They go ahead right away here and tell you that strength has no skills associated with it. Oh, yeah. Strength is only for strength tests where you're like, oh, I'm trying to pick something up. Or uh, it does your static abilities. So things like your health track 
and mm-hmm. how much damage you do in close combat. But other than that, you don't actually roll strength for pretty much anything. Yeah, I mean, it's very important because it, it uh, like John just said, it contributes to your physical uh, damage track. Because this game, just like all Shadowrun games, has two damage tracks you're dealing with, physical and stun, and also armor. So a lot of damage tracks. And the two, the physical and stun, are powered by uh, strength and willpower, respectively. Yeah. Uh, uh, so skill points, you're going to put them in. That's For each point you get into a skill, that's a die you get to roll when you use the skill, and you're adding it to the stat values number of dice uh, that that skill is associated with. So, for example, if you take the sorcery skill, uh, you're going to be rolling the number of dice you have in sorcery plus your willpower in number of dice plus whatever other shadow amp bonuses or whatever you might have to calculate your success value. Yeah. Now, for any given uh, skill, you can spend a point to get specialization. So if you're like, all right, I picked firearms as one of my skills. I put some points into there, but I really want to say like my whole thing is I've got a shotgun. Like that's my cool signature weapon. So I'm going to say I'm specialized in shotguns and you get for one point, a plus two, whenever you're using a shotgun, but you can't ever increase specializations or anything. It's just a one-time deal. Pick a specialization if you want to. And that's a very good deal overall. Two dice for one point is, is a great deal, especially if you're, primarily going to be using one application of that skill uh especially for things like firearms you're like well i'm going to take it in pistols because i don't even carry any assault rifles or whatever there is a limit though a starting character can only have one specialization yes uh, uh and so that'll, that'll starting, hold you off from buying a lot of them yeah a starting character also can only put up to six points in any given skill so even if you get like oh you've got 12 skill points you can't be like i put all 12 into close combat let's go yeah, exactly. You can't you can't just build a uh, a, a punch master of a character. Uh, you do have to round it out at least a little bit. Uh, every character also gets one free knowledge skill at just their knowledge skill number of dice. And knowledge skill is mostly less of a like for real skill and more just things your character is going to know about like in game. So it'll let you do things narration wise so if i go oh yeah i've got knowledge of i don't know the elf language and i'm not mm-hmm. an elf then you can be like oh yeah when we go into this club i'm gonna find like the elf proprietor and talk to them and you know their native tongue and that'll impress them and you know it's mostly just a free thing that you know so there you go yeah absolutely a useful tool uh and then it's time to pick your shadow amps uh, and Shadow Amps is just this game's weird term for uh, <laughs> for every co- possible kind of power-up in, in Shadowrun. Yeah. Now, the Shadow Amp thing is just like, all right, whatever you would have been doing to get something, here's where you spend that points on, and they're all very generic as far as once you get past paying the cost for the type, because you're like, All right, whether it's a spell or, you know, a cyberware or some sort of like, I've got my cyber deck, my hacking rig or whatever. All of those cost like points to get baseline. And then Mm -hmm. you add in points to actually make them do something. Because I could say, oh, I, uh, I have a spell. I didn't add any effects to it. I just have a spell that cost me one point. 
and I'm just going to say it's prestidigitation. It doesn't do anything in the game as far as, <laughs> you know, mechanics are concerned. It just lets me be like, oh, yeah, I cast a spell and it makes me look like two inches taller. Hooray. Yeah, it's neat. There's this whole system here for building your own based on, oh, it's a, a it's a cyberdex ability or it's a type of gear that I have access to or whatever with a base cost mechanic and a bunch of, uh, of secondary tables to let you build your own. But realistically, almost everything you would want from a, uh, a shadow amp is just available down in the index section where there's a list of them. Yeah, the there's like the game every kind of basic spell. Of yeah. So it's neat that it's there. Mostly, I feel like the best thing about it is the added, added table effect. So if you want to take one of the basic shadow amps and buy more points for it and buy more things into it, then it's there for you to modify and upgrade the existing tools. Yeah. So, you know, if you want to have a spell that does damage, you're like, okay, I can have a baseline of damage, but then I've got to put in, you know, however many points to get plus one damage. Maybe I want to make it so that it does armor piercing. I'll throw another point into that. Yeah, so that's kind of neat, and and definitely that's helpful for when you're leveling up your character later on, because you're going to be gaining uh, a bonus points as you make your way through the game, uh, which you can spend on leveling up, and that's there's a whole uh, cost analysis for how to bump up powers as well as purchase new powers and new skills and attributes. Now, because this is a cyberpunk game that, you know, doesn't really want oh. to think about it, it does, of course, talk have, about essence. It has an essence stat, which is anytime you put Bioware or Cyberware in your body, you're going to lose some essence. That that spark of what makes you a metahuman and <sighs> goddamn very it. classic Shadowrun thing to have this dumb essence cost situation. Basically, they've always wanted to make this deal that uh, it's. Every time you put a little bit of cyberware in you, you lose a little of what you are. And eventually, if you lose enough of it, you go crazy and just become the machine, man. And that's why there's a max essence that everybody starts with, which is six, and you cannot go below 0.5. Yeah. As soon as something would make you go below 0.5, you just turn into a junk pile because you no longer essentially have a soul anymore. But mm -hmm. on the way down... There are some side effects, so if you have a low essence, then one, it makes it harder for you to cast magic, which mostly doesn't matter, because if you're low essence, it means you've gone all in on borging up. Mm -hmm. The other thing, though, is it is harder for people to heal you. Yes. Which, it's weird to me. Okay, let's talk about this for a second, because yeah, there are a couple things that cost you essence. Most of them are things that go directly into your body. Mm -hmm. uh, like cyberware. Uh, I don't know if it's the if that's the only thing that does or if uh, some of the cyber deck stuff does too. Uh, but the only thing that the cyber deck stuff will do is if you specifically want like the cyberware of a jack in your head or something like that. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Well, it, it, it makes you harder to heal via regular first aid or via magical healing. Yep. But the question I keep wondering is, isn't that just because the more of you that isn't human, the more of you that you should be able to repair instead of healing? Ah. Like, as you get as you replace your arm with a cybernetic arm, yeah, you can't heal that. It's a metal arm. You've got to go fix it. Uh. But that's not the way the game works. The game works by any damage you take is to your, like, real metahuman form and not to, uh, to, to the parts of you that you think you just have to go take into the shop or whatever. I also love in these when they're like, oh, yeah, and you're going to lose all your humanity. And I'm like, 
I could lose all of my humanity by having like I fart out nice stinks and <laughs> like yeah I uh I have the ability to make my tattoos and facial hair change on whim. Like there's a lot of dumb crap you can get, but they're like, Oh yeah, you're no longer even recognizably human anymore. I'm like, Oh, yeah. shut the fuck up. Six essence just doesn't go as far as you'd think it would. You'd think it'd be like, Oh, if you spent almost all of your essence, it's because you're just a brain and a robot, man. But no, it's like, Oh, I have, <laughs> I have a cyber arm and my eyes are cameras and I'm almost a machine. <laughs> Yeah, it's real, real bad and dumb, and I hate it. But well, whatever. and it's classic. It's it's that's just regular ass old Shadowrun right there. Yeah, and it's the only way they really had of trying to balance out cyberware versus, say, spells, because they can mostly do the same kind of stuff. It's just if you want to be a spell caster, you have to pay two points of your shadow amp up front to do nothing but say that you are either awakened or emerged so that you can then spend points on others. Yeah. Uh, so it's just wizards I, have honestly, fewer points to spend overall, but cyber people are limited by how many things they can get. This thing has always bugged me in Shadowrun, and, and it's not like I've ever run a Shadowrun game, but if I were, it'd be the first thing I'd get rid of. I have nothing in my head against the idea of a robot wizard. I, I I get that all the wizardry in this game is supposed to be born of the soul or whatever, but I've just never quite gro gotten my head around this connection between, like, the more robot you are, the less spellcaster you are, besides that it's just a balancing mechanism. Oh, yeah. Especially when they're like, oh, you replaced your arm with a metal arm? Well, now you can't cast spells because you're not as in tune with who you are. And I'm like, okay, but what happens if I like lost my arm and didn't replace it? Am I also less in tune now because my flesh is gone? Or is it just the fact that I have a robot hand that fucks me up? And why would that fuck me up? I assume it's because like wires from your robot arm are supposed to go on up into your brain and mess with your brain and make you less person. But but yeah, it, to me, it, it it's just never read right. And again, I understand that that's just a shadow run standard, and I, I'm not going to uh, knock the game points for it or anything like that. I mean, honestly, but it's it's never a, most cyberpunk games have that as well. That sort it's of true. Ooh, you leave your humanity behind. Yeah, even even there's a lot of games that more or less have copied uh, Shadowrun over the years. You see this in the Palladium games. Where they're like, oh, if you're a Borg, how the hell are you ever going to cast magic? And I'm like, I don't know. Maybe you just technically understand how to. Yeah. But, you know, what you going to do? Uh, now, with the Shadow Amps, with all your spells and cyberware, like we said, if you don't want to spend all your points on that, anything you don't spend will just turn into Edge so you can get some more rerolls per session if you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you're a human, by the way, instead of getting bonuses to any of the attributes, you're getting plus one skill point and just plus one edge straight up. Yeah. Okay, uh, uh, and th there you get to pick some gear. You get gear and contacts, and then you're pretty much done. Oh, no. You, like you, we were saying... You have to get your qualities first. They turned uh, oh, yeah, yeah. the uh, merits you. and flaws into a thing that you have to have, and it's just very quantified and simple, where you get... Two merits and one flaw, essentially, and they mm -hmm. all deal in a plus or a minus two to whatever. Yes, they might give you a reroll, they might give you a plus or a minus, but they all do something, which is actually good because it means that you can't necessarily game the, game the merits and flaws system 
by uh, by carefully picking things so you have stank breath and uh, you're afraid of like Parmesan. But don't worry because that's balanced out by how much better you are at gunshots. Oh yeah. In this, it's just no. You get two bonuses and one penalty. They're all supposed to be balanced around essentially being two in one direction. Although you can do things like, oh, uh, I have. One of my negative qualities is it adds the glitch die and it can't count for a success. So all it mm-hmm. is is a chance for me to have something fuck up. You're like, right. okay, that's fine. Easy to understand. So I appreciate that at least. Now, I, I guess we're, we're very close to being done here. We've already talked about how the vast majority of this book is just skippable bonus characters, which is an absolute waste of space. Mm-hmm. By the time you're looking at like your second orc decker, you're just like, why are there so many of these? Yeah, it was weird because I was going through them and I'm like, huh, it seems like there's not a lot of humans. And then immediately after I thought that, like the next four characters were humans and I went, all right, well, I guess they bunched them up or whatever. But Jesus, there are a lot of dudes in here. Yeah. Well, like I said, there's more than one orc decker. Uh, so that, that'll give you an idea. It's not even like they just did a parody thing where it's just one to one. They're like. Ah, uh, each dwar- each one of the basic understanding, ca- like we mentioned earlier, there's not really picking character classes in Shadowrun. Technically, there never has been, but more or less, there are a couple of understood roles in a Shadowrunning group. Yeah. You've got your Street Samurai, which is the chromed up guy who's got lots of cyber parts and punches. You've got your Razor Girl, which is the female version of that. <laughs> um, I, I hate that that's a thing. They should just be street samurais, but it's always been that way. And I get it. I've also read Neuromancer. I know where it's coming from, but it's a great chance to correct it in 2016. <laughs> uh, and then you've got your your uh, shamans, your wiz- your uh, sorcerers, your uh, deckers, riggers, technomancers. Adepts are the one that, that I was not familiar with until reading this book, or fifth edition, rather. Uh, which is wizards who use wizardry for nothing but giving themselves stat and combat boosts so they can punch everyone. Which is my very favorite of all of the things you can be, is adepts. It's super cool, but in most games, it's just straight up not as good as being a street samurai. It's just worse. Because you, you're you bu- buying bonuses that are equivalent to street samurai muscle and armor bonuses, but you're also buying the awakened statistic for the additional two shadow app points just to get access to the basic level shit that street sams start with. Hmm. Uh... So it's it's never been as powerful as some of the others. And then there's a bunch of side roles as well. You have things like uh, riggers are the car drivers and the people who operate drones. Faces are people who talk for the group. But then there's also like reporters and uh, uh, drugs dealers and stuff in here. Yeah, they just put all the standard stuff you would expect to see from Shadowrun. And then we're like, you can also do other stuff if you want. You know, you can be... Like an arms dealer, if you want to. You can be just like a company man or whatever. You're like, yeah, sure, great. I mean, Shadowrun 1st Edition, I think, had a celebrity as one of the four or five things that were more or less the character types. So it's always been there where if you want to play a character who who, uh, fits in in a weird way. uh, (coughs) Excuse me. Something in my throat. Uh, But but, uh, here we see a lot more of them, but just because there's a preponderance of characters here. Oh, yeah. And the thing is... Even when it's done, when it's like, all right, we've spent our 60 pages or whatever going over characters. All right, now here's uh, about like six or seven more pages of NPCs. Yeah, granted, that's useful because they're things you're going to get into fights with. 
So it's got a little bestiary in here. So that's on appreciated. It's more useful but, than the 60 pages of random characters where you're like, why do you have two different dwarf adepts? <laughs> well, because you might not grok with one of them and you want to place the other one, I guess. Yeah, one of uh, them's well, a parkour adept. All right. Well, it's great. almost like they realized that their entire character creation process took up four pages and they were like, shit, we can't. We, this is hardcover. We need pages. We got to hit that 200 page mark or we are fucked. Plus, I spent several thousand dollars on art. Hmm. And I'll be damned if we're not using it. <laughs> after that there's a couple of uh contact brief adventures you could potentially run and then finally towards the very 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 end of the book is the list of shadow amps that you're just going to purchase rather than making your own yeah and i mean they do have a list of a bunch of stuff so there's the shadow amps that you can get there's also a full list of positive uh, and negative qualities if you want that there's a very simplified gear list which is vastly appreciated if you've read shadow run before oh yeah and, and then it's just book after book of gear porn like i said the weapons where there are just no reason not to take the best one. Oh yeah you mean like the difference between say for example assault rifles and heavy pistols yep yeah there's the yeah i guess the big difference is that with an assault rifle you have to use both hands but really this isn't a game where there's like dual wielding or anything so what are you doing with that spare hand anyway? Exactly. The whole thing is like, oh, you can uh you, you you can make one attack during your turn. Like that's it. So if I'm dual wielding, it doesn't say I get another one. I just I guess have another gun in my hand in case I want it. Yeah, I guess the best you could possibly do is just say your character's uh well, ambidextrous is a thing. It's one of the positive qualities. It just adds dice when you're using two melee weapons. Yeah, but all that means is you may as well say I add two dice when I use melee weapons because I will be using two. It doesn't matter. It doesn't do anything. It just unlocks my plus two. Yeah. It's not like I'm ever going to attack with the second one. It just, I, it's just both my hands are full of weapon. That's all it is. Yeah. I mean, at least in the gun section, there are differences for the range. Cause this does have a three range thing of close, near or far. So, mm -hmm. and that's fully abstracted, by the way, there's uh, I mean, granted, immediately after it says like, this is fully abstracted, short range is like a hundred meters. And I mean, at least with the guns, you can say, all right, the difference between taking an assault rifle or a heavy pistol is the assault rifle lets me shoot farther for more damage. So I should just take an assault rifle instead of a heavy pistol because it's plus yeah. two damage. I can shoot without penalty at close or near and i can shoot it far at minus two whereas i can't even shoot it far with a heavy pistol at all and it's just yeah. god damn the weapons in this make me so sad because they at least tried with the shadow amps and like the i thought the armor system was kind of smart the, the whole like where it, it adds uh, or it takes a skill point to wear heavy armor because you had to learn how to wear it but you get a skill point back because you're like, I'm just wearing light armor because I never bothered to learn how to wear anything. So you get yeah. a skill point like that at least is trying to be balanced, whereas the weapons are just straight up. There is a correct choice here. And if you choose something else, it's because you want to role play correctly. Yeah. And if you pick the correct one, the the one that does the most damage and is good, the game's like, hey, punish this idiot. Hey, this guy keeps using an assault rifle instead of a light pistol that sucks. Well, you should probably give him a minus one on his shot. What? Why? It's just endlessly. 
it's yeah, it's just endlessly amusing to me that this game's like, hey, be mean to people for playing their character the best way they can. And there's also there's only one way to play your character. So there you go. Because <laughs> there's no choices. There's no you just shoot your gun at the guy. Do you, oh, should I use my shoot feet or what, the, the feet that makes me better at shooting or anything? Uh, there is not that. Don't worry about that. Yeah, it's just did you take a uh, a specialty in a specific thing or did you get a quality in some specific thing? If you did, you're doing that. And if I was like, yeah, I took assault rifles because it's the best thing. I got a specialty in assault rifles because it's the best gun. Uh, okay, I guess that's what I use. I put all my eggs <laughs> in this basket and then someone's going to come along and go, fuck your basket. What are you doing putting all your eggs in one basket? That's the stupidest way to play. No, it's not. It's the, the, the best way to play. It is the correct way to play because getting a light pistol out is just bad. Mm-hmm. So no. Uh, well... Whatever. It's probably about time for us to get into favorites and least favorites. What do you think? Yeah, let's do it. All right, John. This has been a neat game to read about, but what would you say was your favorite part of Shadowrun Anarchy? I'm going to say my favorite part of Shadowrun Anarchy is I'm going to distill it down to just the armor system. I actually think that's probably one of the most elegantly done things in this game where it's just Mm -hmm. three options and you can either get light, medium, or heavy, and if you go light or heavy, you either get or lose a skill point. It's very easy to understand, and it doesn't change a whole bunch of stuff, because armor is just sort of ablative health points until you can take a rest. So yeah. it's just like, I think it was do you want three more too. hit yeah. points or no? Yeah, I agree with you. I think it was a smart way to handle that section. Uh, I'm having a hard time because I keep thinking about what my favorite things are about this game, and every one of them is just something I like better than regular Shadowrun, which is not a useful review criteria because we're not reviewing it in comparison to regular Shadowrun. I mean, Uh, it can still be your favorite thing in comparison. I was going to say, because my favorite thing about this is the loss of that kind of priority assignment system that's in the regular Shadowrun games. That never sat well with me, and I'm really glad not to see it here. Yep. Uh, but beyond that, I think my my uh, big favorite thing here is how functionally simple the skill system is. All right. uh, there's not a lot to pick from. They're very easy to get. They're straightforward with not trying to fit them out around everything. They give strength other things to do. Uh, so I would say that the very bare bones and understandable skill system uh, for the pl- the client side, the player side, is my favorite part of this game. Yeah, that's but fair. Stay tuned for my stay tuned for my least favorite because it's also about the skill system. All right, what's your least favorite thing? Oh, man. It's so close to being good that it's why I think it's my least favorite. But the Shadow Amp system in this, it just... There's not enough to differentiate the various things to make me give a shit and feel like I'm unique in any given thing. Like, if I want to be like, oh, I've got... I'm an adept. I... Went ahead and paid my two points to be an adept, and now I've got, uh, I don't know, improved reflexes at level three. I get an additional attack per narration and two plot points per scene. Cool. I could also just get, you know, my wired reflexes, which does literally the exact same thing. Or Mm -hmm. I could cast the spell of improved reflexes instead of being (laughs) an adept, which does the exact same thing. Yeah, there's, 
it feels a lot like you're making choices that are entirely cosmetic in, in origin. Yeah, and that isn't the worst. It's just the fact that they tried to make it so they're like, oh, this one affects Essence, and this one, you have an upfront cost. I'm like, okay, but but then afterwards, there's nothing to differentiate it, so why wouldn't you just make everything the same? And I understand yeah, it's no. because you wanted to put Essence in there because losing your humanity was a, I guess, a sacred cow you really wanted from the original, but I just... it. It annoys me because it's so close to being good. That's that's really it. Yeah. Okay. My least favorite thing in this game is that, and we didn't even talk about this, the resolution system never has a static difficulty. Never. No. Oh, God. That is correct. Yeah. Uh, instead, every time there's a, a thing you're rolling against, even if it's something like, I need to unlock this door, and there's no one guarding it, and the door's not a cyber door, and there's no magic wards on it, it's just a locked door. How do I do it? Oh, well, there's a there's a calculation for determining the door's die pool. The GM, because the GM needs to do fucking something, gets to roll the dice for the door against your dice for yourself. Yeah, you got to get more successes than whatever the thing you're rolling against. Now, I understand the basic concept of that is that it's giving the DM something to do, but let's or GM something to do, but let's take into account that this is ostensibly supposed to be a relatively quick variation of Shadowrun. Yeah, the fact that so, you're already going like, well, I got to pull up my 12d6 and then hunt for fives and sixes every time I do something, but now so does the GM. Yeah. So does every single thing you do every time you're called upon to make a roll. If you need to do some tricky driving around a slalom course or things like that, the slalom course is going to roll against you instead of just having an average difficulty. Yeah, instead of just saying, this is difficulty four, you need four, they're like, this is difficulty six, it rolls six dice. Exactly. It's 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 a weird step that feels complete. I mean, I understand it if you're going up against an enemy target that is providing active resistance against you, but when you're rolling against static stuff that isn't actively trying to stop you, it should just be a static roll. Why wouldn't it be? It would speed the game up. Yep, it's so, true. Just putting that out there. Uh, that's my least favorite thing. All right. Especially because we hadn't mentioned it yet, and I really felt like it needed to be. I mean, yes, we, we did need to mention that. That is true. Yeah, okay. Uh, what would you say? Oh, sorry. We've already asked all of those. Would you play this game? You know, I would. Like I said, I feel like this is definitely the kind of thing where you're like, oh, this is a con game. This is a thing you go to a convention and sit down and it's just, you're like, here you go. Here's your character. Mm -hmm. Here's how it works. You don't really need to know much of anything else. And you're going to tell the story with everyone else here. So it's not like I really need to worry about like, oh, did the GM come with a, like, story session about his weird fetish because we're going to make the story so it's fine <laughs> i don't need yeah. to worry about the piss wizard showing up unless one of the other characters says that and then i'll spend a plot point and go and then the piss wizard died yeah um, i'm gonna go ahead and agree with you on this one i would also play this i mean i know that it's a it's a fifth edition shadow run that sixth edition is ostensibly even worse that people have been making fun of this game for forever but ultimately, if I've got a strong drive to play some, not cyberpunk, but, you know, tech noir or neon liberal or whatever people are calling it these days, uh, then I can I can get it from this without having to spend quite as much time arduously making up a character True. and have a, have a decent time in at least a little bit of a hurry. Yeah, given that when we reviewed uh, Shadowrun 5th edition, it took me like literal hours to make a character. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's fine. I'll take this. Yeah, same here. I mean, ultimately, I'm still kind of waiting on a game that's actually punk 
but, you know, maybe I've reviewed one before, but this is certainly one that's sold as that on a regular basis. Although, to be fair, I didn't see that word anywhere in here, so maybe that's more of a culture thing. Yeah, maybe. Could be. Anyway, we both play it. We had a good time reading it, more or less, and uh, it has a lot of weaknesses and a lot of apparent strengths as well. It is indeed a land of contrasts. <laughs> so with that, I think it's probably time for us to go, but fret you not, because we still have more content to come. We made bonus characters for this, just like we always do, and if you want to hear all about them, all you have to do is go on down to patreon.com slash systemmastery and support us at the low, low cost of $1 per System Mastery episode. That unlocks the most basic of our bonus content yes indeed you'll get to find out what types of chummers we're gonna get into this weird awakened world and other things i don't know about slang in this game <laughs> yeah I, i'm afraid i didn't really learn the slang i'm sorry but but uh, yeah it, we're gonna be going to patreon we're gonna make those characters we've already built them they were exciting uh, fun times. There's a lot more levels you can also unlock. There's a $2 level that comes with a bunch of Star Wars stuff and a $5 level that comes with the Afterthought and the TV Mastery uh, bonus podcast. I'm really excited about the TV Mastery right now because we've got a brand new show going and it is a lot of fun. Oh, it's super fun. Yeah, so definitely stop on through and check that out. Otherwise, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you soon in the bonus content or in a few more weeks with yet more System Mastery. Until then, you have a good one. 